Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Jesus Christ 
Christ died for your sins, and that he's the only person that can get you saved. Because if I ask the devil to take me, he will, and I'll be so bad. It's like if you were dying this once-in-a-lifetime chance, it's like if they ask you to do what millions and millions of dollars, because of course you're going to say yes. You don't double-think it. If I tell you you don't accept it, then I say you're going to be poor. It's like that with Jesus. You either get saved and live happy, or go to hell and burn for eternity. <laughs> okay. Either way, the question was very interesting. What does it take to get to heaven? And in today's text, we're going to read about the rich young ruler. A good guy, an upstanding guy, who asked the same question. What does it take to get to heaven? What does it take to get eternal life? What led a guy like that to ask a question like that? And what did Jesus try to show him that left him and us scratching our heads? Okay. Let's go ahead and read the text. Matthew chapter, oh, sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 30. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Let's pray. Um, Lord, uh, we just read that with you all things are possible. And so you know right now who I am all too well. You know uh, all of my shortcomings. You know, uh, even in this message, all the holes and the gaps and everything. And Lord, you also know that my heart is wicked enough to want validation from people, approval from people. I want this to do well for my sake. But God, we pray that we would hear your word today for your sake. So that we could see Jesus more clearly. 
And Lord, all these things are impossible with man. Even me about to speak and people hearing the words of God are impossible. Just me alone. But we know that with you, all things are possible. So we pray for your spirit to be here, to fill us with joy and peace. Open our eyes to see things that we never saw before and help us to encounter you again. We're praying in confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to go back to the first ver- uh, first couple verses of this. And Jesus, uh, you know, is walking down a path. He's about to leave to go to some other city to continue his ministry. And the encounter begins with this young man running up to him, kneeling before him and saying, What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, why? Why would he do that? He says, and Jesus' response is even more strange. Um, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I mean, can you imagine this guy kneeling before Jesus and, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus saying, why are you calling me good? And you're just, he's kind of like, you're Jesus? Why would Jesus respond that way? In Jesus' response, he's getting to the heart of this man's problem, and not just this man, but ours, you and me, here in this very church. Sometimes, our knowledge of God gets in the way of really knowing God. Jesus is asking us this morning, why do you call me good? Why are you here this morning worshiping Him? Why do you spend time serving the church, doing the right things, all that? You've got it all together, church. I mean, look at us. We've got it all together generally in the world's eyes. Why do we want more from Him? And this is the point. Jesus asked that question to him because he wants to know, what do you really think about me? Who am I really to you? And I'd like to say that sometimes our knowledge of God gets in the way of really knowing God. You know what? This rich young ruler is more similar to you and me than you really think. He's not irreligious. I mean, he's a really religious guy. In fact, he'd probably be a leader here at Harvest. He'd probably be a small group leader or a uh, a deacon or uh, an elder even. He's got his act all together. He works hard. He's wealthy. He does his part. And he does his religious thing as well. But sometimes, as Jesus is asking this guy, our knowledge of God gets in the way of really knowing him. When you think you know him, church, be very careful. When you really think you get him, be very careful. Well, he goes on in the encounter. uh, Jesus goes on and says, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So Jesus says in verse 19, well, you've been doing this religious thing long enough. 
What am I going to tell you? What am I going to add that you don't know already, rich young ruler? Um, and so even still, the, the ruler says, well, which command should I follow? Which one should I follow? And then Jesus lists these off. He lists off commandments. Actually, these are actually commandments 5 through 10. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the guy says, well, uh, I've done all those things. And then Jesus looks at him. And I love this part in the text where it says, he loved him. Now, it's just so interesting to me that he, it says that he loved him. Because, you know, usually when these Pharisees and these other religious leaders come up to Jesus and they try to spout wisdom, he gets angry. And Jesus says, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. You, you think that you have it all together. But this guy comes up to Jesus and says, I do have it all together. I am following the commandments. And instead of getting angry, Jesus looks at him and loves him. He says this, You've been doing all the right things. You're believing all the right things. But you've really lost my heart in the midst of this. Jesus had been trying to tell people, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about the commands, it's about the heart. It's not about the commands, it's about the heart. It's not just about the commands, it's about the heart. I don't know if you remember the, the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't look at a woman lustfully. Jesus is trying to get to the point, it's not about the commands, it's about the and that's what he's trying to say to this rich young ruler. You get all the commands, but you lost the heart. I remember one time Renee and I were in a conflict together. Well, yeah, we were in a conflict, and uh, I can't remember what it was. It must have been something like she left me alone with the kids, and uh, I dressed them up all wacky, and I brought them somewhere, and uh, and she, she was upset with me because... Um, it wasn't making sense to her what, how I dressed them up. And uh, I was like, but you told me to do this, 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 and this. And she's like, but you missed my heart. Husbands, do you relate to this conversation at all with your wives? Where they tell you the checklist, and then you go through the checklist, and then they tell you, but you're not getting me. You're not getting my heart. And that's what Jesus is telling you and I this morning. I think sometimes in the midst of doing the right things, we've missed the heart of God. And I think for a lot of us here this morning, we're doing all the right things. Hey, we come to church on Sunday. We uh, give money to the poor. You saw the work that we did in Haiti. Uh, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're better than the average Joe. I mean, when I look at my friends and other family members and stuff, I'm better than them. But I think in the midst of doing the right thing, we've missed the heart of God. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell this ruler and us. How do you know you're missing the heart of God? i got a question for you. When you see a homeless person, what are your first thoughts? For me, a lot of times is well, does this guy really deserve my money? He's not as homeless as the other guys. When you look, gentlemen, 
at another woman at work, do you think to yourself, phew, at least I didn't commit adultery with her? You've missed the heart of God. When you avoid a person here at church and you say, well, at least I'm not fighting with them. I don't, you know, I'm not openly angry with them. True. But you missed the heart of God. And I think this morning, if we would just let that settle in, that in spite of all of our religious behavior, a lot of times we miss the heart of God. You know, the way we live our Christian life reveals a lot of what we think the Bible is about. I want to know from you, is the Bible mostly about good principles to live a good life and to be a good husband and a good wife and a good parent and to manage your finances well? Is that mostly what the Bible about is about? Or is it mostly about our need for a Savior? far and above everything else, and then some principles mixed in between. The way you and I live our Christian life really reveals what we think the Bible is about. And I think when we think the Bible is about principles and plans and being the best, fill in the blank, not that those things are bad, we've missed the heart of God. It's at this point that the man walks away. In verse 22, uh, the man walks away from Jesus, and we wonder why. And I would say this. The man was up against this issue. Wait, wait. You're telling me that uh, all of my good stuff, you don't care about it? I mean, you're, you're telling me something else that I need to do? I, I can't do that. And he just kind of throws up his hands and, and walks away. Jesus, or the man was saying this, to have eternal life, you're telling me that I've got to have nothing? And Jesus was saying exactly that. Lose your identity you gain from being wealthy. You can't add to anything. And at the heart of this, Christianity is not about addition, but it's about an exchange. Christianity is not about an addition, it's about an exchange. I was talking to a buddy of mine, uh, and he was telling me this. He said, uh, I'm a good person. Uh, I go to work. I don't cheat on my wife. I take care of my kids. Why should I come to church? What would you say to him? I mean, this guy is more morally upstanding than I am, than many of us are. I mean, he is the epitome of a good guy. Why would you say that he needs to come to church or hear about Jesus? I think your response really reveals whether you really get the heart of God and whether you really get this. Is Christianity to you about addition or is it really about exchange? So I listened to my friend's question and I, uh, I was perplexed for a minute. And I thought, huh. Why should you come to church, dude? You're a great guy. I mean, you're you're you got it put together better than most people I know. And I said this. I said, uh, you know, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. 
He didn't come to make you better. He, made, he came to make you alive first. And as you become alive, you eventually may become better. This text is saying, especially for those of us who are religious, it's a dangerous life. Because it's not about the bad things that you want, but it's about the good things you want too much. Let me read this, uh, this uh, quote to you. If you're avoiding sin and living morally so that God will have to bless and save you, then ironically, you may be looking to Jesus as teacher, model, and helper, but you are avoiding him as savior. You're trusting in your own goodness rather than in Jesus for your standing with God. You're trying to save yourself by following Jesus. That, ironically, is a complete rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is possible to avoid Jesus as Savior as much by keeping all the biblical rules as by breaking them. Both religion and irreligion are ultimately spiritually identical courses to take. Both are sin. We're stuck. What do we do when Christianity is not about addition, but about an exchange? Well, it doesn't just end there because in verse 23, um, the man, in verse 22, the man walks away. And in verse 23, Jesus has two more things to say that leave us here in the church going, what? This is crazy. In verse 23, Jesus says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he also goes on to say, Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus is saying here? The odds are stacked against you and me. The odds are stacked against people like you and me. The odds are completely against us. Against people like you and me who go to church, who are religious, who actually are wealthy. Are you wealthy? I mean, when, when, when I ask that kind of question, I think the defenses naturally rise. And you start to I, I'm not wealthy. I mean, look at the people above me. I, look at the people that have more than me. I, I mean, I'm working a 9-to-5 job. I only make this much money. And immediately we start comparing ourselves. You only compare yourselves to those above you. You know, when I was uh, looking at the site globalrichlist.com, I don't know how accurate it is, but I remember PD referenced it, and so obviously that means it's gospel truth, right? Um, if I, I put in my salary, you know, I'm an eighth grade math and science teacher in the Chicago public schools. <laughs> I rock some money. And it told me that I was in the top point, or top 7,800s Hundreds, 0.78, wealthiest people in the world. Dang, Joe! <laughs> I feel a little bit better about my salary, but I am in the top 0.78% of people, wealthy people in the world. And what does Jesus say? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of feel the weight of that? I mean, you can disagree or agree with me whether you think you're wealthy or not, but again, why does it have to be an exchange? 
Well, first, your goodness is less than God's goodness. You can't meet your end of the bargain in terms of doing all the right things, in terms of behaving all the right ways, in terms of saying all the right things, believing all the right things. And lastly, Jesus says, the odds are stacked against you. For people like you and me, us, here in the church, right now, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for you and me to enter the kingdom of God. Why? It's not the bad things that we want. It's the good things that we want too much. All these things are stacked against us. So basically Jesus is saying, you know what? The bad news is worse than you imagined. The bad news is worse than you imagined. The bad news is this. Your goodness is less than God's goodness. The bad news is this. You can't meet your end of the bargain even when you try. The bad news is this. The odds are totally stacked against you. The bad news is worse than you imagined. So I think the disciples asked the only thing that can be asked at that time. Who then can be saved? I mean, if that's the case, if we're not good enough, if even our good behavior is not good enough, if our money is keeping us from really experiencing God, who then can be saved? The disciples were exceedingly astonished, says. Our answer, our hope, is from Jesus. He says this, With man, it's impossible. But with God, it is impossible. Sorry, with man, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. See, Jesus is telling us how things work in the Christian life. We come to God, you and I, and we try to add value to our lives. We think we have to pay for it somehow. We come to God trying to add something to what's already a pretty good picture in our lives. We've got the job, we've got the family, we've got the kids, we've got everything that we need. Yes, there are some cases where that's not the case, but generally speaking, when we look at other people, we can say, we've got it all together. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about addition like before. It's about an exchange. Jesus is saying, give up your identity. Give up the things that you found so much security in. Give up the source of peace in your life. Get a new one from me. This is what uh, C.S. Lewis said. The almost impossibly hard thing is to hand your whole self to Christ. But it is far easier than what, what, what we are all trying to do instead. For what we're trying to do is what we is remain what we call ourselves. Our own personal happiness centered on money or pleasure or ambition and hoping despite this to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you cannot do. If I'm a grass field, all the cutting will keep the grass less but it won't produce wheat. If I want wheat, 
I must be plowed up and re-sown. What needs to happen in this Christian life of ours is completely an exchange and not an addition. Well, then Peter makes a strange remark and says at the end, Peter says, well, Jesus, we gave up everything to follow you. And Jesus says, yes, you will be rewarded. But I, I think in the midst of that, Jesus is kind of saying, Peter, you're missing the point as well. It's not about addition. It's not about what you can impress me with. It is, in fact, about an exchange. Are you living that way today? I wonder how you feel when you fail. I mean, is it just that the guilt just racks up and, and you just feel bad about things? Are you living with addition, like you're trying to add on to your goodness or prove to God that you actually deserve to be here? Or are you living in an exchange life? When you come with your plans and what you want to do and how you want to make God, uh, how you want to seek God's will for your life to find a better job, a better career, you know, you want the best for your kids, are you living an addition life? Or are you living an exchange life? How is that exchange possible? Well, if we're saying that why an exchange it has to happen, the bad news is worse than, ima than imagine, who then can be saved? With man it's impossible, and God it's possible. It is possible because I'd like to propose that there are actually two rich young rulers in this story. The only way that this exchange life is possible is because there are two rich young rulers in this story. The first one is you and me. We have worldly wealth. The other one had the universe in his hands. He says, like it says in the Psalms, the cattle on a thousand hill. You and I have the praises of people we seek the adoration of people, the security that people give. The other one had the praises of angels and cherubim and seraphim worshiping him constantly. The rich young ruler in this story, like you and me, returned to our riches, our security, our peace. When we get scared, when we feel hope, hopeless, the other rich young ruler left all of that security and peace to be with us. When you and I are faced with the requirements that God actually requires, we fail and fall on our face. The other rich young ruler, Jesus, lived the perfect life that we were meant to live and supposed to live. We decide that total obedience to God is too much and we miss the command. He loved the Lord his God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength to the point that it took him to the cross. Because the rich young ruler, the second one, Jesus, exchanged his life for ours, we can have eternal life. You know, it says with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And this morning, just in our time together, I want to know what kind of life you're living. A 
an addition life or an exchange life. And a life where you, the rich young ruler, are trying to gain and gain and hoard and try to get what you think God wants, or you already exchanged and living in what Christ has already given to you. The question for us today, it sounds like it's too much, is to give it all away. He did for us. And so now we can for him. Let's pray. You know, just in our time together, I think uh, I want to just leave uh, a good enough time for us to uh, pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you'd like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.